On this episode of This Week in Linux, we have a ton of distro news to cover with new releases from Linux Mint, Peppermint, Endeavor OS, Farin OS, Parted Magic, and Alpine Linux. We'll also cover some interesting hardware news for a new Kubuntu branded laptop and a really cool project someone made with taking their business card and doubling it as a Linux computer. We'll also check out a new version of the photography app Darktable, and later in the show we'll take a look at some unfortunate news with Hyperbola switching to BSD and also apparently Librem 5 wasn't expensive enough. Fortunately though, Valve is going to help us round out the show with some great news for the Steam Winter Sale. All that and much more coming up. I'm Michael Tunnell with the Destination Linux Network and this is your weekly source for Linux GNU's. This episode of This Week in Linux is sponsored by DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean offers the simplest, most developer-friendly cloud platform. It's optimized to make managing and scaling apps easy with an intuitive API, integrated firewalls, load balancers, multiple storage options, and more. You can get all this plus access to their world-class customer support for as low as $5 per month. DigitalOcean also has 2,000 cloud-agnostic tutorials to help you stay up-to-date with the latest open-source software, languages, and frameworks. And these tutorials are also kept up-to-date in general because, you know, sometimes you find a tutorial and you'll see that it's out-of-date by a couple years and it's not as useful. They actually have, like, little notices when they have newer versions. You can just click that to go to the newer version of that tutorial, which is really cool. So if you have, if you find it on a search engine, you can still get the latest update information. So that's really awesome. And you can get started on DigitalOcean for one month for free with a $50 credit by going to do.co slash tux. That's do.co slash tux. And with that $50 credit, you can test out multiple droplets, or you could test out one of their big beefy droplets, where you can test out really robust software and services on there. And again, you can get started with that $50 credit by going to do.co slash tux. Thanks again to DigitalOcean for sponsoring This Week in Linux. The first in the show this week is Linux Mint 19.3, codename Trisha. So this is as released, will be supported up until 2023. Uh, it's the same thing, it's based on Ubuntu 18.04, so it has the same uh, support cycle that Ubuntu LTS does. And this one has updates to their system reports because it now includes detection for multiple potential issues on a computer like missing codecs, hardware drive availability, or language packages. They've also improved high DBI support, which is very good for people who have like 4K monitors and that kind of thing. Uh, Celluloid now replaces their X player as the default media player, and they, they state that Celluloid has better performance and hardware acceleration. Now, I don't, I've never tried Celluloid, but it was previously known as GNOME MPV, and I use the MPV regular one, uh, not the GNOME MPV and the Celluloid, but I use the regular MPV, which is one of the best players I've ever used. It has support for all the different codecs. It is really nice and high performant and has all these different cool functionality uh, options you can you can use. I've never used this one, so I don't know if this is actually better performant or whatever, but the, what it is cool about it is that Cellular has a GUI where MPV doesn't really have one. I mean, it has a pseudo GUI, but doesn't really have one, so you're not going to be able to like launch an application or launch a, a file from this you're going to have to like associate the application to files, and then when you launch them, it automatically pulls up MPV. It's a little weird, but at the same time, I think MPVs are very good things, so Celluloid probably benefits a lot from having a good backend. Uh, they've also replaced Tomboy with GNOTE and have replaced GIMP with Drawing for a simpler new user tool. Uh, they've actually 
improved the panel zones so you can now more easily customize those and Nemo has more configuration with on which actions are available in the context menu which is nice it gives you a lot more control as a user they've also added a hardware detection tool to the BIOS of the ISO images so it's easier to define to detect what hardware you have and what you need to install they've also upgraded to the Linux kernel 5.0 and there are a lot more tweaks and enhancements to this release. So if you're a fan of Mint, then be sure to go check out the latest release because it is quite nice. I, I actually like the, the latest version of Cinnamon. It looks a lot more polished than the previous versions. So, you know, good congrats to Linux Mint on that. Uh, though I would say that if you want to check out one of the latest episodes, I'll link to it. I don't remember which number, but I'll link to it in the show notes, which one. Uh, but the latest episodes of Destination Linux, we had a discussion about Linux Mint and about how there's some issues in terms of like how they do certain things where I'm not a big fan of. Uh, but I do think that Linux Mint is a good distribution. They could just be so much better if they were to fix these issues. And they're not small issues. They're fairly big uh, in some cases. So, you know, it's not it's not saying don't use Mint. Mint is still good. It's just if they were to do these, it would be fantastic. So... Anyway, if you want to learn more about that, I'll have a link in the show notes to that episode and also that section of that episode if you want to learn more about that. So yeah, let's go to the next topic. Up next in the show is the Peppermint 10 Respin release. So Peppermint 10 has these once every two year releases where they're based on the new LTS, but in between they have these other releases and they call those respins. So this is actually just an update of the existing version where they change a lot of stuff, like or even add new utilities and that kind of thing too. And this particular thing is Department 10 Respin, which is based on 1804 Ubuntu. So it has the same uh, support cycle that Ubuntu has, and along with you know long-term support. And it has uh, updates to the kernel for 5.0. It has updates to the Xorg stack through the hardware enablement stack. Has updates to Firefox and many other applications as well. And they've also added some cool stuff like new utilities. So, for example, first they've added the cursor resizer utility to the settings panel. And they've added the web browser manager utility, which is really cool because it makes it a lot easier to pick new like a different browser if you don't like the one that comes by default. And it's just a really simple GUI utility that you can you know switch to whatever common browser you prefer to use. So that's a really cool idea. Other distros have that as well, but I think it should be more common that this is available. I think most distros should have that because it's a really cool idea. Also, they've added a modified menu option so that you can use an old, uh, they call it the Peppermint 6 style, which is kind of like the LXDE style, where you can switch out your whisker menu with an old school hierarchical menu, kind of like, you know, back in the day, like 90, Windows 98 kind of stuff, where it was like a very simple, minimal uh, menu system, like that kind of thing. Uh, they've also added some uh, uh, the arc color GTK themes, which makes it possible to have multicolored themes built on the arc theme systems, which is that's pretty cool. And they've also installed pzip full out of the box, making it easier to have like able to compress and extract archives uh, for whatever you download. If you've downloaded an archive, it's easier to ex extract them because it's built into the system now. Uh, and they've also added something that's really awesome. I mean, it's also kind of like self-serving a little bit that I'm talking about it, but they've added a, they have this thing called the ICE system, which allows you to do single site browsers and kind of turn them into like, take a web app and sort of turn it into like a, a desktop application sort of through this system. 
and they've decided to make one for the Destination Linux network. So that is awesome. So you can easily go check out new content and new new shows and new everything, all that sort of stuff from the, directly from the main menu of Peppermint 10, which is really awesome to see. So thank you very much for doing that. Fantastic. And if you'd like to check out Peppermint 10 Respin, I'll have a link to it in the show notes below. Up next in the show is Endeavor OS 2019.12.22. It's based on the date. Their release numbers are just the date they released the ISO. And this is a really interesting distribution that we've talked about many times before. And it's because the distribution Endeavor OS is kind of like a successor to the Intergos distribution. I actually used to be a part of the Intergos distribution. So when they when they decided to kill the project, uh, I was... You know, it was disappointing, but at the same time, uh, pretty much immediately after Endeavor OS was announced and they decided to continue the mission that Intergos did, but take it in a different direction as well, which is really cool because as soon as I saw that that's what they were doing, I tried to give as much uh, input as possible to see if I could, you know, address the things that I didn't really like about Intergos to maybe make Endeavor OS even better than before. And so far, it is pretty much that. There's still quite a few things to, you know, improve. They have some bugs that they are they know about and, you know, that kind of thing. But there's a, so much potential in this distribution that I can't wait to see what happens with it. So if you're not aware, Endeavor OS is based on Arch. And it's kind of like a really easy access to get to Arch while at the same time not modifying too much. Because there are other, there are other Arch distributions like... Manjaro is an Arch distribution, but Manjaro changes a lot and they fork a lot of packages and stuff like that. So it's not exactly Arch, it's more like a, it's a derivative of Arch. And Intergos was a distribution that was meant to be a, you know, really close to Arch. But at the same time, they still modified quite a bit. Now, Endeavor is doing something really interesting where they're making it easy to get to Arch. And they're still making it some modifications and some theming improvements and that kind of thing and some like polish improvements. But at the same time, they're making it really close to Arch, which is a really interesting approach because it makes it possible for people who are wanting to get you know started with Arch, not having to go through this huge, massive barrier that is, you know, being the first time you've ever installed Arch, it can be a little daunting. So this is a really cool thing that they're doing. And this release introduces the new net installer and now the net installer allows you to choose a DE at the install time and it allows you to choose from a multitude of different options so this is really cool so by default when they first introduced Endeavor they were only allowing one distribution or one DE but they meant to do multiple desktop environments at some point and that point is now so if you want to check it out you can now choose between XFCE, Cinnamon, Mate, LXQt, Plasma, Gnome, Budgie, and Deepin. So there's a lot of options. And they're actually uh, going to be doing more, so they're going to add uh, Openbox and other tiling window managers in the near future, like i3 and that kind of thing. So this is a really cool thing that is happening, and I can't wait to see what happens with this. They also are working on something that's not really ready yet, but if you want to try it out, you can. They're just not recommending it. But there's this base option for the installation where you can choose to do that and you just start from like a base arch level sort of and then modify and improve things based on your own preferences. So you choose the DE manually and you choose the configurations manually and all that sort of stuff yourself. So there's a lot of potential with this distribution and I can't wait to see what happens. And so far, every time I've used it, 
it's been quite impressive. So, um, I can't wait to try out the net installer. Uh, I've, I've tried out some beta versions of it, but not the latest version. So I can't wait to check that out. And I also really like the community around Endeavor because they're very, they're like arch based, but like they're trying to be like a friendly arch community because a lot of people have this weird reputation towards arch. And to be fair, it's partially accurate and partially not. But at the same time, Endeavor is very welcoming and very friendly to beginners. So it's a really good distribution for people who are wanting to get started with arch, but don't want to go through the big hassle of, you know, all the different intricacies of learning how to use Arch immediately. This way it kind of be like a transition phase for some people as well. So anyway, if you'd like to check out Endeavor OS, the latest ISO release that has the net installer will be linked in the show notes below. Up next in the show is the latest release of another very interesting distribution, and that is Farron OS 2019.12. So Farron OS is a very interesting distribution, especially now because they have changed a lot. So they used to be having Farron OS was based on Cinnamon and also a derivative of Linux Mint. It is no longer based on Linux Mint and no longer using Cinnamon, so that version has been turned into Farron OS Classic, and the new version is based directly on Ubuntu and is using the KDE Plasma desktop environment. So there is quite a few things different in this case and also a lot of modifications to Plasma itself. So Plasma typically is not modified that much by distributions. I mean, most distributions change a few things here and there, but they don't even change the theme or whatever. It's like it's like 95% the same most of the time. Whereas uh, Kubuntu and Farron OS change stuff, and Kubuntu changes are much more polished area and not in the sense of like trying new customizations and configurations and things. And Farron OS is a more experimental changes because they they change the the menu system is a completely different thing. It's not available by default in Plasma. They have modifications to the theming. They have modifications to uh, workflow of various different things. Like they even change stuff in system settings, so it's, it's pretty interesting. So Farron OS is like kind of like an experimental sort of not it's not experimental in the sense of like it's not practically to use it it's practical to use it i mean it's experimental in that they actually try a lot of interesting things in their releases especially with this newest one where they switch their entire desktop environment so uh, if you're interested in trying out a unique distribution that is uh, trying new things with plasma this is definitely one of those to check out and this latest version, they have a notice on their blog post where it says the one of the most notable tweaks is that the menus have a now dark and transparent uh, design rather than the white and opaque design. And along with Plasma's blur effect, it makes the desktop look a lot more sleek by default, which I totally agree with that. It is a nice looking uh, distribution now. I mean, so I mean, Cinnamon is still good looking. Like Cinnamon was still a good DE, but Plasma allows for a lot more configuration and control to the developer so it's really cool to see them you know trying this thing out with like replacing replacing the de is a big decision of course but what they've done so far it looks like a good decision so they've also done some really interesting things in terms of they've like basically plasma has this thing called the look and feel themes and the look and feel themes are somewhat limited and somewhat have some issues about what is able to be changed and what isn't. And uh, Farron OS does, has done custom development for that system to improve their layout switching so that you can now uh, switch your layouts a lot easier thanks to this because you know the look and feel system was 
missing a few things, and it looks like they a lot of these have been changed for Farron. And also, I'm glad to say that Farron has also pushed up these uh, changes to KDE. They haven't been accepted yet, but at some point, hopefully, they will be. So in this case, you can do a layout switcher, which allows you to change to a Cupertino layout, which is basically like Mac OS. Uh, the Redmond layout, which is like Windows, although they have another version called the Familiar layout, which is more like Windows 10. So it's kind of like Windows 7 versus Windows 10 style. Really interesting. And also the, the, the Familiar layout has a menu that looks pretty close to Windows 10, so it's impressive that... It, and someone else made this, and it was just like, when I saw that, I was like, wow, that looks a lot like Windows 10. That's interesting. So you could pretty much make it exact copy, you know, as far as design-wise, if you wanted to. Uh, so it's pretty interesting. And they also have their own custom stuff, as well as the Ubuntu Unity layout for those who want to, you know, go back to the Unity style. And they also have one called a tablet mode, which is pretty cool because it's it's similar to the default one, but it adds a it makes the panel a little bit bigger, and it adds a virtual keyboard button on the panel. So if you have, uh, you know, if you have it on a tablet, it makes it a lot easier to use your system that way. So that's really cool too. And another thing that I, they've done where they just they've created a lot of interesting things for being such a small project. They have a lot of cool stuff. One of the things. I've never tested this and I cuz I, I don't know how well this works but if it works well I mean this is a massive value to the community and people who are making other distros probably should check this out because they have something called the transfer transfer tool and the transfer tool allows you to uh, take settings and files from your existing installation and move it to Farron OS now this supports other Linux distributions but it also supports Windows I don't know how or what exactly it's taking from Windows, but you can take files and settings from your Windows machine and move it over to your Farron OS system pretty simply. You basically just load up this application, uh, choose the drive that you that has your Windows system on it, uh, choose what settings you want, and then it creates like a package sort of. And then when you go to your other system, you or you, actually you take the that package it puts it on another drive so you have to have two drives in order to do this but it would work with uh, theoretically it would work with a flash drive depending on how big that that data is and then you just go back to the new version of that you go back to your Farron OS install and then you can import those settings from that separate drive that you did and it's really interesting because it looks like a very seamless a thing to do and it also like moves in wallpapers and all kinds of stuff like that so I haven't really done testing because I don't have a Windows in set, set up to see that but based on the video demonstration they made it's pretty cool it has a lot of potential so other distributions should probably check that out if they haven't already if you would like to check out Farron OS I have a link to the latest release of 2019.12 in the show notes below up next in the show is Parted Magic 2019 underscore 12 underscore 24. They actually do use underscores in their versioning numbers, but anyway. So Parted Magic is a really cool distribution that is basically for, it's kind of like a complete disk management solution for disk partitioning, uh, data rescue, disk erasing, benchmarking, disk cloning, and so many other things. It's probably one of the best 
uh, solutions for that kind of thing available and it is very powerful so if you if you do any kind of like sysadmin work or any kind of tech support this is one of the you know distributions that you should have available to you at all times doing that stuff because it is that it is that important and that valuable so also this latest version has now added support for wine uh, gnome disk utility dosbox and a new method of booting via P pixie or pxe which is also a pre-boot execution environment which allows for booting over a network so this is pretty cool and the latest version has added a lot of cool stuff and if you are interested in checking out parted magic i'll have a link to the latest version of 2019 underscore 12 underscore 24 in the show notes below up next in the show is alpine linux 3.11 so alpine linux is a security oriented lightweight linux distribution built around the muscle libc library and the busybox and this makes it smaller and more resource efficient than traditional GNU slash Linux distributions. And in fact, they say that you can have Alpine Linux inside of a container for, with just 8 megabytes of storage. And a minimal installation to disk requires only around 130 megabytes of storage. So this is a ridiculously lightweight distribution while still being quite powerful because they have their own custom uh, structure of syst of like uh, their own packaging and that kind of thing. So Alpine Linux, this latest update of 3.11 has Linux kernel 5.4 LTS and it has support for the Raspberry Pi 4 now. So if you have any usage for having like an embedded system for the Raspberry Pi, this might be a really good one to check out. Uh, they'd also added support for uh, initial support for GNOME and KDE environments on top of Alpine. They've added support for so Vulkan, uh, DXVK, and Mini GWW64 support. Uh, they've actually also added Rust is now available for all the architectures except for the S. 390x uh, architecture, uh, but for everything else, Rust is the Rust programming language is available, and they've also deprecated Python 2, which makes sense. I mean, every distribution should get rid of Python 2 because most things have been um, migrated to Python 3 at this point, and those that haven't, it's been like a decade now, so probably should get on that. Anyway, so Alpine Linux 3.11 is a really interesting distribution, like a lot of the rest of the ones in this episode. So if you're if you want to check out a security-oriented lightweight Linux distribution, then check out Alpine Linux 3.11 link in the show notes. Up next in the show is the housekeeping section. And in this section, I normally tell you about things that are you may not be aware of the show, but for those who are aware, you might skip this section, but in this particular episode, I'm going to let you know about things, well, that as well, but also things that we're going to be doing for the next year. So, in 2020, we're going to be two, doing two special edition episodes, pretty quickly actually, but two special edition episodes. One, we're going to do a look back of the past year's topics. So it'll be this year in Linux, 2019, and it'll be the first ever this year in Linux. And I wanted people to contribute if they would like to, and so I created a thread for this and the other special edition episode on the Destination Linux Network forum. So you can go to destinationlinux.network, click on the forum link, and you'll find links for these threads. I also realize that's a lot of you know where to find it. So I made a special direct links on the description and in the show notes so that you can just quickly go to these threads without much effort and... So, as I said, the This Year in Linux episode will be a look back at all the things that happened in this past year. But it's not going to be like 
taking previous episodes and just editing them together. It's going to be a retrospective style where we talk about the things like the biggest topics, but also let you know about where we are since those been were covered and what has changed since then. So that's a lot of effort and a lot of stuff to do. So if you would like to contribute, I would very much appreciate that, like picking the biggest topics and that sort of thing. And also, I decided that that's not enough effort for me, so we're going to do 10 times that with the This Decade in Linux episode. So if you'd like to contribute to that as well, I would appreciate that very much too. Uh, so we're going to talk about all the things that happened in the past decade, which is a huge amount of things and some really big stuff like Unity being created and being canceled, uh, Proton being created, System D being created, all these other things happened in the course of that 10 years. So there's a lot to cover on that. And if you'd like to help pick out what we cover, I would very much appreciate that. You can just go to the links that are in the description and the show notes to those direct threads for this year in Linux and this decade in Linux. And if you'd like to contribute in another way, you can become a patron, but to help this show be created because it takes a lot of effort and a lot of work. A lot of people don't you know, understand how much effort is because I think they look at how long the episodes are and think it only takes me that long. It doesn't. The shows are usually like... 35 to 45 minutes long or whatever, but the actual time it takes to make the show is around 20 to 30 hours because, well, there's just a lot of prep work, there's a lot of actual recording, and then there's a bunch of editing time and all this other stuff, so lots of time is put into the show, and if you appreciate that, then if you would like, you can maybe become a patron by you know, helping out make this show possible so that I can devote more time to the show, and I would appreciate that heavily. And if you'd like to do so, you can go to tuxdigital.com slash Patreon or tuxdigital.com slash sponsors to become a patron. And also because you appreciate me by doing so, I also will be giving you a bunch of bonuses. So like you get like special rewards by becoming a patron if you're to do so. So there you go. More incentive to do it. And I would very much appreciate it if you were to do so. But you can also contribute without any cost to you by using our affiliate links by going to tuxedo.com slash affiliates. I have a link in that in the show notes as well so that you can help, you know, help this channel out while having to do anything extra. You could just, if you're going to buy something on Amazon, you just click that link, buy it then, and that helps the show. So there's another option. Uh, and also, just so you know, we got some other things that you may not be aware of, like the segment index. Uh, I have a link in the show notes and in the description for all the different sections of the show and all the different topics of the show. And I do this every episode. So you can just click directly to the timestamp of an individual topic and go right to it so that you can get, you can, you know, jump around, pick and choose which topics you want to do in what order. Because if maybe my order is not what you prefer, so you can pick whatever order you want and be sure to check out all the different topics because you can do it at any time you want. And if you like to have an audio version, you can subscribe to the audio feed, which is an RSS feed that you can subscribe. And it's also available in podcatchers, so you can do like Podcast Addict or po- Pocket Casts or whatever you want and just search for the show in those and be able to subscribe that way. So if you you know, if you know just like to listen while you're commuting or something, that's also an option as well. And if you'd like to join the community, we have many ways to do so. In fact, we have the Telegram group. You can go to destinationlinux.network slash Telegram to join one of the biggest Telegram groups for Linux there is. It has over 1,100 people in it, so be sure to join that because there's a lot of great conversations. And if you like if you like real time anyway, and if you want to have a more organized style of conversation, you can go to the Destination Linux Network forum by going to destinationlinux.network, clicking on the forum link, and you can get all the stuff there. Have tons of different convers- discussions about various different shows or just in general because there's a lot of great stuff, including and everybody there is really welcoming and it's a really great community. So be sure to check it out. Destinationlinux.network, click on the forum link, 
And there we go. So let's move on to the rest of the show. And yet let's, and be sure to remember to go to the forum to click on the uh, links for the different threads for the, this, this year in Linux and this decade in Linux if you'd like to contribute to those shows. Up next in the show is the latest release of Darktable 3.0. And this actually has a really big, this is a really big release for 3.0. It's a big major version release. And they've changed a lot, including a complete rework of their graphical user interface. So if you're not aware, uh, Darktable is a very popular open source alternative to Adobe Lightroom, which allows you to take raw uh, for, for, uh, photos and be able to manipulate them in whatever uh, style you want to do it. It's like that it has like enhancement tools, sharpening tools, you know, that kind of thing. It's not necessarily a manipulation program like something like Photoshop would be. It's more of an enhancement and improvement thing to existing files that you can do for a photographer. Uh, there's also a lot of stuff in this latest release that we're going to get to. Uh, this release includes over 3,000 commits, so it's a big update and packs a full interface overhaul. So there's new shortcuts that have been introduced to quickly collapse borders, sidebars, histograms, and navigational modules, allowing it to be basically a borderless editing experience. They have a new color profile system. They have an improved support for displays up to 5K. Uh, they have improved the window display or the preview window display. They have uh, tone equalizers been added, denoising enhancements have been done, color picker improvements, and a whole load of other things that you can do to you know improve your photos and various different things and various different like dark tables are really cool application and i'm not really that versed into photography so i don't really i'm not i've only dabbled with it i don't really know exactly how good it is but i have heard uh, debates that you know not even just linux users but just photographers in general have debated whether or not dark table is equal to lightroom or not and there's been a lot of places people will say that dark room or dark table is pretty close and uh well I'll take their word for it. I don't know, but it does look like a pretty powerful application. So if you are into photography, definitely check out Darktable 3.0. Link in the show notes. Up next in the show is the Kubuntu Focus Linux laptop. So the Kubuntu Council has announced a partnership with the Mindshare Management and Tuxedo Computers to bring a high-spec laptop to the market featuring the Kubuntu Linux distribution. In the announcement, they state the target audience is power users and developers with a suite of applications that will come preloaded and updated for everything from Steam games, deep learning software, web development software, image editing, and more. The hardware was said to be uh, meticulously vetted and tested, so everything works flawlessly out of the box with Kubuntu, which is fantastic in general. You know, having people putting that effort into those app, those computers, which is t I mean, typically done with Tuxedo as well, because uh, they are a Linux-based computer company. Uh, but it's also great to see that they're doing it extensive with Kubuntu. Uh, the specs of the computer are Core i7-9750H. Uh, I'm not really sure how good that is, because I'm not. I don't pay attention to the Intel computers anymore, or Intel processors. However, the i7 is one of their powerful ones, so that's awesome. Uh, the GPU has a 6 gig of RAM GTX 2060, has 32 gigs of RAM overall. So like 6 gig of RAM is the GPU's RAM. Then the actual computer's RAM is DDR4 32 gigs of RAM, which is quite good, uh, in a, especially in a laptop. There's, they have a, the storage available is a 1 terabyte Samsung 97, 970 Evo Plus NVMe. So that's a pretty powerful thing for, you know, coming by default. Uh, they also have a 16, a 16.1 matte 
1080p IPS display, so it's got really good viewing angles. Uh, they also have a lot, of, you know, it's metal and plastic-based chassis and some other things like being able to be user-expandable for SSD and NVMe and the RAM. So you can, if 32 gigs of RAM is not enough for you and one terabyte NVMe is not enough for you, you could replace, improve those and add extra whatever. If you Anyway, so this seems to be a, a very similar thing the way that System76 did done where they have a manufactured com uh, computer based on Clevo. And then they do optimizations for Linux and modifications and stuff to make sure everything is tested well and works well and all that kind of stuff. And it also includes some nice branding for Kubuntu, including a Kubuntu lo logo on the super key, which is always nice to see it no longer being a Windows key. Because that's, that's not good. But this, having a Kubuntu logo, that's very good. Uh, so there's also no word on the price yet for the, the laptop, and we don't know when it's going to actually be able to be ordered. Uh, so if you're in the market for the new laptop, you might need to wait a little bit for and hold out for this one because uh, we don't know exactly what it's going to cost or when it's going to happen because it was kind of like, I don't know, they they kind of announced this before it seemed to be ready to announce it because it's the pre-orders are not available yet, uh, but as soon as they are, I think it would be a really good option for people who are you know you know developers or power users and that kind of thing who are fans of Kubuntu like myself I I like Kubuntu so uh, this looks like a really cool laptop so if you're in the market for something like this you can find out more at kubuntu.org and I'll have a link to their announcement in the uh, show, show notes below uh, but unfortunately we don't know much other than that about it or when you can get it so whenever they announce that information I will let you know about that so let's move on to the next topic. So up next in the show, we're going to talk about some business cards. And I know you might be thinking, what? Well, this particular business card runs Linux. And it is the card for George Hilliard. He is an embedded systems engineer. And he has turned his business card into a not only a business card, but also it is a bootable Linux system. So it has the basic stuff like a name, email address, and that sort of thing, but also has a USB plug that you can plug into your computer and boot a super stripped down Linux in about six seconds. But he says that due to the form factor and cost, the card lacks I.O., networking, and any amount of storage to run heavyweight programs, but it does have some storage. So he says if you if you want to plug it in, you can plug it in as a traditional flash drive, and it will contain a README file that explains the card, a copy of George's resume or CV if you're in you know not in the U.S., uh, some photos, a couple of games, and a few utilities, and even some free space should the recipient want to save something to the card for some reason. And what's really cool about this, I mean, this is already super cool, but he also was able to make these cards cost less than three dollars. So like. Him creating a business card that has a Linux computer built into the card only costs about $3, a little bit less than $3. That's crazy. I mean, that's awesome. And it makes a lot, you know, makes a lot of sense that an embedded systems engineer would have a business card that is also a computer or an embedded computer. So that's pretty awesome. Uh, but of course, another reason why this is awesome is because it is open source. So the source code, the schematics, and all the other relevant information is available on his website. So you can download and make your own if you want to, because why not? Anyway, this is awesome. And another special thing that it's not really that important, and I just like to point it out because to me, as a marketer and networking guy, not network, you know, business networking, uh, he this is a standard business card size computer. That is important because... 
anytime you go to a networking thing and someone gives you a non-standard business card, that is my cue to throw it away because they care so little about the person they're giving it to. They're making it awkward for them to actually have it. So because the most of the time you have like business card uh, binders and stuff, they will they will be based on the standard. Or, for example, fitting in a wallet. I've had people give me like four-inch square cards. They're like, what is this? I'm throwing this away because there's no way for me to save it. So it's and not only is it a really cool business card that it has a Linux computer in it, it's also a standard size business card, which I appreciate that too. So that was a weird random tangent on a not very important thing. But one of the other time, what is the other time I'm ever going to talk about business cards and you know networking and stuff like that? But very cool. A business card that runs Linux, I want one. <laughs> Even if it's just getting George's card, I want one. Up next in the show is a topic that I have been trying to record for the past hour or so because I don't really want to be negative. I don't want to bash a company. That's just not what I do on this show. I don't like doing that. I try to be positive and only cover topics that I find interesting or I think you will find interesting or I just think is cool or whatever. Hence that business card with the Linux computer. That's really cool. Even if it is ridiculous, it's awesome. You know, it's, it's awesome in its ridiculousness, whatever. But then we go into the opposite side and that's purism where the ridiculousness is frustrating and nonsensical and just, just so annoying. So I've tried to do this topic multiple times. This is a last attempt, hopefully, anyway. And the reason why is because they've announced two new things, and those two things, neither one are good. And it's just frustrating. So let's get into it really quickly. They announced Librem 5 uh, phone will be having a price hike. And that there's a new Librem server product that they're going to be. They haven't even finished their other products, but hey, new one, new product. Let's do that. Let's spread our lack of management skill even further. So they had a phone that was $699. That was 5 inch, 5.7 inch, 720 by 1440 resolution, 3 gigs of RAM, 32 gigs of storage. The price for that phone is now going to be increased to $749 and then later again at $799 and the difference between the hardware is nothing. That doesn't even consider the fact that they announced a USA version of their phone being assembled in the USA even though they haven't finished the first one. They're going to make another one and that one's going to cost $2,000 with well, the only difference of where it's supposedly where the, the parts are, or, are origined and where it's being assembled. That's the only difference. But they haven't even finished the first one yet. And then the Librem 5 um, is accompanied with the Librem server announcement that they're going to make another product with servers. And these servers are going to start at $2,700 up to $6,000. And this is not necessarily that... That price is not necessarily ridiculous. It's just you haven't finished your other products and you're adding another one. I don't think an enterprise company is going to remotely consider that because you don't have a very good track record to say the least. 
I'll go to the history in a second. But before we move on of, to why, because uh, by the way, I know people are going to hate on me for having this critical opinion of Libram and the purism stuff. And it's because for some reason, the ideology allows some people to justify like apologizing for purism all the time and saying, and basically pretending like they're impervious to criticism. I don't know where this comes from. I, I, but it is, it is a thing. And a majority of people who watch this show would agree with me that purism is problematic at best. And, uh, that's not who I'm talking to about that. Um, you know, there's people who have opinions that are like, you know, we could be nicer to them about, you know, they are making something that doesn't, didn't exist prior to them starting doing this. And you're like, yeah, sure. That's cool. Although it didn't, really accomplish it. They never got to it yet, you know, so I'm still not going to apologize for that. Uh, then there's also people who said that, well, you know, they're making a whole operating system by themselves and stuff. And it's like, yeah, they shouldn't have because there already existed other options at the time. So whatever, we'll get to the whole rant in a minute, but let's get to the, the Librem server part because that's the other announcement that's recent. And that announcement is that they're making a new server I already told you the price, but they have something that kind of annoying. They make a statement saying that it is already successful. So here's this, and I quote, Libram Server has already been successfully in use by established business customers for the past year that serve important clients such as Boeing, GE, NASA, and Toyota. Now the company is opening up the product to general availability, end quote. That's interesting that they name dropped Boeing, GE, NASA, and Toyota. Not for the reason that it seems like it's interesting. It's not because those companies are actually there and client, their clients or customers. No, 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 no. It's because they say it's already successfully been in use by established business customers for the past year that serve important clients such as Boeing, GE, NASA, and Toyota, meaning that the those important clients are the clients of their clients. So not actually things that they should be name dropping because, well, it's not their clients. So it's this weird misleading marketing spin thing that they do that also annoys me. And they do this all the time. Like they, you know, the Librem 5 is shipped, everybody. Yay us. Except we didn't ship it because one, we didn't ship it to anybody but our employees. And two, the phone still doesn't even work anyway. So if we did ship it, it wouldn't work regardless. So we didn't actually meet it. That's what they said, you know, provided you take out all the parts where I corrected them. They said that they shipped it, but they didn't. So it's just frustrating, okay? I'm just, I wish I could support this company because I want to. I want to pay a premium for a device that is focused on privacy and security and Linux and open source. I'm okay with the premium. That's not the problem. The problem is the fact that the premium is so high and the honesty is so low. So this problem with purism kind of it goes back to the history of this company. By the way, first of all, just to clarify something else, the servers, there's already a competitor that has open source and transparent servers that have are down opened down to the microcode and firmware level. And those would be from Raptor Computing Systems that have Power9 Telos 2 servers. So like those are already doing what uh, Librem Server claims to be and 
has already been around for a while and has built a reputation versus Librum and Purism that has a reputation of not fulfilling their promises. So for those companies looking for using that, check those out instead. And the next thing I'd like to talk about is the fact that Purism has done multiple crowdfunders. So let's, we're going to go back to a history of this. So we're in the rant form now. We've talked about the server and the price hike of the phone. We're now in the, I don't know, I'm not, I don't remember all the things that I've said so far because I've done this multiple times and I've covered multiple things. Um, so I'm just going to, whatever. They did the USA version where the origin of the hardware is not from the existing one and the price is going to be $2,000 even though they haven't finished the phone in the first place. If I said that already, I'm sorry, but I don't remember because it, it's all blurred together now. Uh, the next thing is the history of purism. So Purism has done crowdfunding all the time, really. So their the first device, the first product they ever announced was the Librem 15 or 13. I don't remember which one, but they they were like a month apart from each other, so whichever. Then the next one that they did was another crowdfunder. So they did in total both of those laptops were crowdfunded for a total of about 1.12, 1.12, whatever million dollars. And then they do a then they don't make the laptop on time. They don't make it to the specs that they say they will. They don't make it with the features that they say they will. Like the the uh, open firmware stuff that they claimed didn't happen for a year after their, their release of it. Like, And the reviews for that laptop was just very bad. Very bad. And after that, they thought, well, we didn't finish our laptop, so let's go ahead and make a tablet. So they crowdfunded a tablet, which did not get successful. And I guess enough time had passed that people forgot how bad the laptops were and forgot that the tablet was a failure. And when they got to the phone part, and I, I put myself in that thing as well. I forgot about the tablet until I started researching for this 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 uh, thing. And the like, they had rose tinted glasses on. Hey, a company, this company's still around. That's great. You know, maybe they've learned their lesson from the laptops. No, they didn't. So. They make a phone. They announced the phone is going to be released in January 2019. It didn't happen. And like I said, they said in April 2019 it was going to be, and they, it didn't happen. Then they did the whole, we shipped and we didn't actually thing. I don't know. It's just frustrating. I should make a video about this, but I know I'm going to get so much hate on it. So maybe that's why I haven't. But if you want to find out all the details about why the company is problematic, let me know. And I will break it down exactly like, hey, I don't, I want to support purism, but I just can't with a good, with a clean conscience do that because they constantly do this nonsense. And the fact that people have like this weird, um, you know, that purism gets defended in the fact that they're making this hardware, even though the hardware is not very good. And even though the ones that they completed is still not very good. And even when people they ship it to have like massive problems where the certain stuff short circuit or uh, the battery is super fast draining or it can't make phone calls and all this other stuff and they still defend it because or whatever. I don't know. And I understand if it was if they actually said it was beta phones and they said it was developer edition and all that, I would I can understand that. But they don't say that stuff and they haven't ever that I know of. It's just it's so frustrating. Okay, it's just frustrating. But if you want me to go into the super details more so than I have here, 
please let me know in the comments below or on the Destination Linux Network forum. I would be happy to do so. But I think I'm, this is probably the last time I'm going to talk about it in the show because this is just such a frustrating topic to ever cover. Anyway, by the way, the some people argue that they should they should be okay. It's it's okay because they're making their own operating system. But why are they making their own operating system? You know, I'm not sure if I said this already either, but they're making their own operating system. But there already existed operating systems. Now you could argue that a distro is different. You know, because people say that the same thing about distros and laptops and stuff, but that's different because there's a lot less work to do. Whereas on the mobile version, they didn't decide to just make their own version of the of an OS. They didn't just take an existing one. They decided, I'm going to make this whole brand new thing, including a whole new shell, a whole new toolkit, because they want to use a particular toolkit that was not meant for mobile instead of using one that was. They want to use a particular shell or desktop environment, or whatever you want to call it, mobile environment, that was not meant for mobile, but they want to do it anyway. So it's just, by the way, that's GTK and GNOME Shell. So GNOME did not did not make a mobile phone version because they don't want to, which is totally reasonable if they don't want to. It's fine. It's their thing. They want to make a desktop one? Cool. Do it. But Purism wanted to make one with GNOME, but so they forked it and made their own called Fosh, which is phone shell or whatever. Then they fork the GTK toolkit to make their own version, which is like, what is going on here? And their reason for doing it is because they want their phone interface to be to be similar to or you know convergent or whatever with their desktop interface or laptop interface. And it's like, hey, here's a thought: change the laptop instead because that would be a lot easier to do. But no, we're going to take two point something million dollars from the community and waste it on doing things that we don't need to do because that's the thing that we have to do for our own apparent our own preference. Yeah, I'm going to get a lot of hate on this one. But on the bright side, so we're going to switch gears from the super frustrating to slightly unfortunate. Um there's a distribution called Hyperbola. I think that's how you say it. I'm not totally sure. And they're switching from Linux to BSD. And they say that the user freedom is the concerns that why they're doing it. They say this was not an easy decision to make, but we wish to we use our time and resources to create a viable alternative to the current operating system trends, which are actively seeking to undermine user choice and freedom. Now, this is pretty interesting, especially considering that Project Trident, which was based on BSD in the past, had this recently decided to switch over. Or was it TrueOS? I'm not sure. I think it was either way. TrueOS, Project Trident, one of the two, uh, decided to go from BSD to uh, Linux instead, which I thought was really interesting, and this is going the reverse. And the, the reason they're also giving is that they're saying that their concerns go far beyond that, saying that uh, this will not be a distro of BSD, but re- really be a fork of OpenBSD kernel with modifications to various different things like user space and etc., and they say that the Linux kernel is forcing adoption of DRM, including HDCP. I don't know if that's accurate or not. Linux kernel proposed usage of Rust, which contains freedom flaws, and centralized code repository. Centralized code repository is not necessarily a bad thing. And freedom flaws? I, I don't know exactly what that means. Uh, Linux kernel being written without security in mind, which that doesn't make any sense, because uh, it was fundamentally pieced of... Cre- uh, anyway, they say that also many GNU user space and core utilities are all forcing adoption of 
uh, features without build time options to disable them like Pulse Audio, SystemD, Rust, Java, and etc. So I don't know how much of this is accurate, but if you're interested in learning more, I'll have a link in the show notes. And because um, this is, I still think this is pretty interesting, you know, in comparison to the thing that TrueOS or Project Trainer or whatever are doing when they're switching to Linux and this is switching to BSD. I think this is a really interesting thing. And um, whenever they have a new one coming out that's a Hyperbola BSD version, I will check it out because I'm just interested in seeing what they're going to do with this. So if you're interested as well, you can have, I'll have a link in the show notes below to check it out. The last topic of the show is going to round out the show with some really fun, uh, you know, not only fun news and the fact that it's just good news, but fun because it's game-based. And that is Valve Steam Winter Cell is currently on, and it's only going to be a couple more days left, so be sure to go check it out because there's a lot of great games that are available, like The Witcher 2 Assassin's Creed Enhanced Edition is 85% off, Stardew Valley is 40% off, Stellaris is 75% off, uh, Total War Warhammer 2 is 66% off. Sid Meier Civilization 6 is 75% off. And Rocket League is 50% off. And I'm a big fan of Rocket League. Most people know that. But uh, there's definitely a lot of games that are available. So go check those out. And to make it super easy, I'll have a link in the uh, description and in the show notes that will take you directly to the Steam sale that has all the games on discount for compatibility with Linux. Now, this is, not, this is only native Linux. So if you are... Uh, looking for Proton-based games, I don't really. There's not really a way to do that right now, but hopefully in the in the future there'll be a way to do that. Uh, but right now, if you want, go to destinationlinux.network/steamsale, and you'll be taken directly to a search results that show games on discount that are for Linux. And yeah, so thanks for watching this episode of This Week in Linux. If you like what I do here on this show, please like that smash button and be sure to subscribe. If you'd like to support the Tux Digital channel, we have multiple ways to contribute via PayPal, Patreon, sponsors, and many others. You can learn more by going to tuxdigital.com contribute. Or you can order the Linux is Everywhere t-shirt by going to tuxdigital.com slash Linux is Everywhere. This is a t-shirt that I designed to basically to explain that even if you don't know that Linux is there, it probably is. That's why Tux is blended into the background to convey that message and also to just basically be an awesome looking shirt. So if you'd like to check that out, go to tuxdigital.com slash Linux Everywhere. Or if you're in Europe, you can go to tuxdigital.com slash Linux Everywhere EU for shipping inside of Europe. And we also have ways to contribute without any cost to you by using our affiliate links. You can find links for places like Private Internet Access, Amazon, Humble Bundle, and many more by going to tuxdigital.com slash affiliates. If you'd like some more podcasting goodness from me, then check out the latest episode of Destination Linux as I'm a co-host of that show. And also be sure to check out the Destination Linux network by going to destinationlinux.network and you can find all the great content that's available there as well as join the forum that is available there by clicking on the forum link or going to discourse.destinationlinux.network. There's a lot of great discussions there as well as all the creators are on that platform as well, so you can get in touch with us that way if you would like to. And yes, please join the forum. I think it's an awesome uh, piece of the community, and if the more people that's on it, the better it gets. So check that out. And uh, yeah, thanks for watching. I'm Michael Tanell with the Destination Linux Network and Tux Digital. And as always, keep using, learning, and enjoying Linux.